week is a long time in Jerusalem for these disciples, as we'll see this morning. Perhaps as an analogy of how things can change in a very short period of time, I don't know whether you remember Thursday the 4th of August, 2011. I'm not sure you would, I don't know why you would, but perhaps if we put this image on the screen, it might bring back a few memories. Thursday the 4th of August, 2011, was the day when a gentleman by the name of Mark Duggan was shot dead in North London by police. And within five or six days, we'd had the most amount of civil unrest that this country had had for over 30 years. Five people lost their lives, 3,000 people were arrested for crimes, and it's estimated that well over £200 million worth of damage was done in many major cities within the UK. On that Thursday, when we woke up and we thought life was exactly the same as it always was, and just a few days later, I remember myself watching the television news each evening as it got closer and closer, and even Ealing, just a few miles down the road, there was unrest there and civil disobedience and fires and looting and violence. So much changed in such a few days. And in Jerusalem at this time, we've got the same thing. Let's step back a week in time. Just seven days before, Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey with a huge crowd around him shouting, Hosanna! Christ is going to save. God is going to save us. He's the Messiah. He's the chosen one. There's triumph. There's happiness. There's joy. The disciples are walking alongside Jesus and the crowd as he enters Jerusalem. Within a day or so, Jesus has ripped up his manual of how to win friends and influence people and he's gone into the temple and he's thrown out the money changers and those that are trading within there. Not very popular. Within a few more days, he's celebrating the Passover with his disciples in the upper room. And then very shortly after that, he's betrayed, he's tried, he's crucified, and he's buried. And we get to the day that we would call Easter Sunday, and that's the day we're still on today, in this passage today. Already in this day, the women have gone to the tomb, they've found the tomb empty, the stone rolled away. Peter and John have also gone to the tomb, found it empty. John's gone in, John stood at the entrance, Peter's gone rushing in, Peter walks away scratching his head, not sure what's gone on. Jesus appears to Mary, although at first she doesn't recognise him. The women have gone back to the other disciples and told them, the body's gone, it's not there. The disciples don't believe them because in those days nobody believed what women said. Um, it's within a court of law, uh, women wouldn't be seen as credible witnesses in those days. It's amazing. And it's one of the things about the resurrection story that the very first witnesses to it were a bunch of women, which in those days wouldn't have been seen as credible. So Mary goes back. She tells the disciples as well. We've then got the passage that we looked at last week with Richard, the road to Emmaus, Cleopas, and perhaps his wife who was with him as well, walking to um, Emmaus, a town that we think was perhaps, uh, we don't know, about five kilometres outside of Jerusalem. Jesus walks along with them. They don't recognise him at first. They end up at their home. They have a meal together. They recognise Jesus. He disappears. They then decide to come back to Jerusalem immediately. We're still in Easter Sunday. We're still on that resurrection day in the evening. They hot-foot it back to Jerusalem. And this 
is where our story starts now, today. They've come back to the room where the other disciples were meeting. Hopefully that gives you some idea of how the disciples were feeling from seven days ago, triumph, a Messiah entering Jerusalem to then their leader being crucified and buried and lots of confusing stories about bodies disappearing and resurrections. So Jesus comes and appears to them in the room and that's where we are now. And he comes and he offers a number of things to them. And we're going to look at them very quickly this morning. He offers five things to the disciples in this room as he meets them. The first thing, he offers them his peace. The first thing he says to them, he comes in through the locked doors, remember. He stands amongst them and it tells us in verse 90, he stood among them and said, peace be with you. Hebrew word he would have used would have been a shalom. A word that was used in every street corner and every marketplace in the, in the land. And you still hear it today. It's a traditional greeting, traditional way of saying goodbye. Shalom, peace to you. But it's more than just peace. It's not just the peace that we might understand in terms of the absence of conflict. It's something much deeper than that. The word shalom in the Bible and certainly the way that Jesus used it. It was about a restoration to a community. It was about a wholeness, about a completeness about a real contentment. The peace that Jesus offering was far more than an absence of conflict. He doesn't come in as his first thing and rebuke the disciples for their lack of faith, rebuke them for their actions leading up to the crucifixion, which was basically them running away. But he comes in and he offers them his peace. They were there probably feeling guilty about what had happened in the last few days and the fact they hadn't stood up for Jesus. I'm sure they were very uncertain about what was going on right at this moment in time and they would certainly have been fearful about what the future had to hold. But Jesus came and he offered, him his pe- he offered them his peace. And Jesus is offering that same peace to us today. I know that we can live sometimes figuratively behind the locked doors like the disciples were staying here. Perhaps we are guilty about things that have happened in the past. Perhaps we're uncertain about the present. Perhaps because of work situations or family situations, ones that we love, people that we love. Maybe we're fearful about the future as the disciples were as well. What's to come? What's around the corner? What's life got in store for me? Because of the resurrection, Jesus comes and he offers us his shalom peace to us this morning. A completeness, a restoration to him. He said in chapter 14 of John to the disciples just a few days earlier, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I don't give as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. I do not give peace as the world gives. This wasn't the same as a worldly type of peace. Even the peace around at that time, the Pax Romana as they called it, the Roman peace between the Roman nations that they'd conquered there, which was only brought about at the tip of a brutal sword and only lasted for a a relatively short period of time. This isn't a worldly peace. This is a permanent peace that God is offering to us now because of Jesus' death and because of his resurrection on the cross. Philippians 4, 
verse 17 says, the peace of God which transcends all understanding. We can't really get to grips with the peace of God. This will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Guarding our hearts and minds. Literally a sentry standing guard over our hearts, our inmost being and our minds where our intentions are. Jesus' peace comes to us today. Moving on, the second thing that he offers to them. Verse 20, after he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. He showed them his hands and his side. He showed them the wounds that he'd received as part of the crucifixion there, the nails going through his wrists, the spear in his side the deep wounds of love, as one songwriter puts it. Firstly, these wounds would have demonstrated who he was. In this account, in Luke's Gospel, we're told that the disciples were still absolutely terrified at this point. Jesus had just appeared with them. They were still confused and disorientated. They thought they'd seen a ghost. And Jesus shows shows them his hands and he shows them his side, as if to say, no, this is me. This is the one that was crucified for you. This is Jesus. I'm really here with you now. I'm not a ghost. It's quite a difficult concept to get, the fact that they had been with this person for the last three years. They knew what Jesus looked like. They knew who he was, what he sounded like, but yet they didn't instantly recognise him. Mary didn't recognise him in the garden. Cleopas and his wife didn't recognise Jesus instantly on the road to Emmaus, even though they were walking along together and talking. And the disciples don't recognise him immediately here. Richard talked last week about this not being just a resuscitation event when Jesus was resurrected, not just his previous body being resurrected, but actually this was a, a plan. This was not God winding the clock back. This was God winding the clock forward. This was a new body something different. It's quite a difficult concept to get. The only analogy that I can come close to is perhaps 25, 30 years ago, for those of you old enough to remember, I know there's some that won't be here, but I remember growing up in a house with a telephone that was plugged into the wall and it had a dial on the front that you had to put your finger in and you had to let the dial go back each time. It started from one, it went to zero at the end. And if you had to ring someone who'd got lots of zeros in their number, you thought twice because you didn't want to get a blister in your finger as you kept having to put it around so many times. And it was the telephone, and it's what you used to speak to people. And we've moved on to today where this is uh, evidence of of a telephone. If you'd have showed me that 30 years ago and said, that's a telephone, and I looked at it and I was seeing TV programs on it and I was able to send messages all the way around the world on it and things like that, that would be quite a hard concept to gather. You know what a telephone is 30 years ago, and therefore you know that this same thing can make phone calls now, but it's just very different. It seems very different. We can't get our heads around it. And that's a very poor analogy, perhaps, of how the disciples were feeling. They knew the concept of Jesus. They knew who he was, but they were not able to instantly recognize him when he stood there. So he shows him his hands and he shows him his sides in recognition to say who he was. But also showing his hands and his side is showing his love to the disciples here. It reveals his fullness of his mission to come and save here. His death was referenced in the wounds on his body, 
and his resurrection is referenced in his bodily appearance to them there. Earlier in this book, John makes this famous uh, verse, John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have eternal life. God's love come to us through the death and the resurrection of Christ. It's likely that the disciples were feeling incredibly guilty because of their actions or their probably lack of actions over the last few days as Christ was crucified. But Jesus comes to deal with that and to offer his love to them, to take away their sin and their guilt. And their response to that in verse 20, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And just as the disciples recognised Jesus as he stood before them, we need to recognise the person of Jesus today as he stands, as we share the bread and the wine together. We see his body and his blood shed for us. And in the same way that the disciples responded with joy, Jesus is asking for a response from us today for his great love, saving love for us. So that's his peace. He offers his love. Thirdly, he offers a mission to them. Verse 21, again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. This phrase in the original, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. It's in a perfect tense. It talks about a past action that continues into the present and on into the future. Jesus wasn't sending them on a new mission. This wasn't something new that had started. He was telling them to carry on the mission that he had already started, to fulfill God's work that had begun in Christ. That's why it's so important. Resurrection, Christ's resurrection, wasn't this one event that just happened in the middle of history. It was God's plan. It was a continuation all the way through, from the beginning through to the end of time. And Jesus is telling the disciples here to continue this mission that he started, this mission of love here. Earlier in the book, he's told them, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. It's God living in me that's doing his work. To encounter Jesus was to encounter the Father. And he was passing this on to the disciples. So that in some small way, to encounter the disciples, to encounter the apostles was in some way encountering Jesus as well. And that's the same mission that Jesus is sending us on today. Matthew tells us what Jesus said to the disciples then, go into all the nations and make disciples, make followers. We're to continue that message of telling the good news, that euangelion that we talked about after Christmas, making disciples of all nations, sharing and being that good news to everyone around us. But not only that, passing on Jesus to other people. With the Holy Spirit inside of us, with Jesus as our leader, do people encounter Jesus when I meet them? Do people encounter Jesus when they meet you? Do we take Jesus' love and his compassion and his grace and his mercy and his sense of justice to those that we meet, those that we live with, those that we work alongside, those in our families and our friends? Do people see, even if imperfectly and in a small way, Jesus within us? It's a real prayer for
for this morning that people that meet us would see Jesus in some way through the way that we speak and through the way that we act, through the way that we think. Moving on, and alongside this mission that he sends them on, he doesn't send them out on his own, he sends them with some help. With that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This had been promised back in John chapter 14. He says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send another helper to you. And we know that in a few weeks' time, that Holy Spirit is going to come in all its power onto the apostles on the day of Pentecost. But here he's just given them a little taste of it. The Holy Spirit being breathed onto the disciples here to give them help in their mission. The word, for, the word for helper that's used earlier in the Gospels is all about really a, a legal help for somebody who's in trouble with the law. This helper, the word there, the counsellor, would be someone who would come alongside someone in a court of law and would stand there and support them and be there and help them and witness for them and advocate for them and be there for them to help them. And this is who the Holy Spirit is for us today, someone to strengthen us, to encourage us, to aid us, to advocate for them. This is the same Holy Spirit that the disciples received that we have in our lives today. In Ephesians, it reminds us that that same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in us today. We have the same Holy Spirit today. It's the spirit of resurrection. It brings life and power And God gives life and power to his church as we go out to share that good news with others and fulfill Jesus' mission. But we're reminded in Ephesians that we need to be continually filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, it says. It's a present continuous tense. Be being filled with the Spirit. Sometimes we can squash the Spirit into a small part of our lives, not allowing him to do his work in all of it. We need to continually be filled with the Spirit. And that's something sometimes just praying with other people for more of the Spirit, more of Jesus within our lives can be a really helpful thing. And it's certainly something that we offer here after the service in our prayer space to just pray with someone else if you feel you need more of Jesus, more of the Spirit in your life, just to come and pray simply for that. So we had peace, we had love, we have a mission, and we have some help. And finally, we have reassurance. This is perhaps the more famous part of this story where Thomas comes along. Thomas called Didymus simply means twin. We don't know who he twinned with, but he was a twin all the same. He wasn't with the disciples on Easter Sunday. We don't know where he is, where he was, what he was doing, whether he was feeling particular guilt and remorse and just wanted to be on his own, whether he was down the pub, we don't know. But he's got tagged, he has a nickname that we all know that's gone through the centuries, Doubting Thomas. It's a bit unfortunate, really, that he's been tagged with this. It's a bit like, I don't know, you having a chat with somebody outside of the church, and they say to you, yeah, you know the person, you know the chap I'm talking about. Goes along to All Souls Church, you know. He's tall, skinny, stands at the front, plays the guitar quite badly. Um, Yes, that's the one. You know, Lazy John, that's the one. (laughs) He's got a nickname which is unfortunate that's been passed through. It's not a great way of referring to somebody. 
And he's only mentioned really properly three times in the Gospels. One time he gives a quite logical response to Jesus who's talking about going away and his father preparing a place for them to go. And he's telling them they'll know the way to go. And Thomas is saying what all the other disciples are thinking. They go, look, we don't know where you're going, so how do we know the way to get to where you're going? All he was doing is being logical, perhaps, and saying what everyone else was thinking. Another time is when Jesus was um, about to go to Lazarus, who had died, about to go back to, Ju- to Judea, a place where he'd just been threatened with stoning, threatened with death. And the disciples said to him, don't go back there. You've just been threatened with death. And Jesus says, I'm going to go anyway. And Thomas comes up with a great line. And he says, come on, we're going to go. Let's go die with him. And we don't know how he said that. We don't know whether he raised his eyebrows and was being a little bit sarcastic and going, oh, Jesus is going to go and do this. We might as well go and die with him. Or whether he was perhaps a little bit more brave and courageous about this and was going, no, Jesus, I'm going to follow you wherever. Let's go. And if it happens, then we have to die with you as well. I perhaps prefer the second of those. But you pay your money, you take your choice on that. But now we've got Thomas who hadn't been there, and the disciples were saying to him, they told him, we have seen the Lord. The word telling him actually means they kept telling him, probably for this whole week, we're a week later now, they've probably been talking to him all week, going, look, we've seen the Lord, we've seen the Lord, he's resurrected. Thomas is going, no, unless I put my fingers in his hands, unless I put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe this. Were the other disciples any different, though? Had they experienced anything differently? Peter had gone to the tomb, seen it empty, gone away scratching his head. The disciples hadn't believed the women when they came back and said that the tomb was empty. The disciples themselves only really believed when Jesus has appeared to them in this room here. But poor old Thomas gets labelled doubting Thomas here. So what happens? Jesus appears a week later with this personal message for Thomas. Thomas, stop doubting. Put your fingers here. Put your hands here. It's really me. You know, the most important thing here is what Thomas's response is. He says, my Lord and my God. It's the first time that Jesus has been referred to in the divine sense that he is God. Fantastic personal act of worship by Thomas to Jesus here is response. We don't have the privilege of seeing the risen Christ, face to face in the same way that the disciples did there. But by faith, we can believe the testimony of those we've heard. Yeah, in the same way as with Thomas, it's not enough to just academically believe in our minds what we read or what we've heard. We need a personal experience of Christ as well so that we can declare in the same way, not that he is just Lord and God, but he is my Lord and my God as well. You know, these doubts are okay. Questions are okay. Christian theologian Roger Olson wrote, the unexamined faith is not worth believing. As we come into church each week, we don't take our brain out and leave it by the door as we come in. We come in to examine faith as well as live it out and as well as to trust and believe. That's why we're running some of the life groups, the questioning life, questioning Big Questions Life Group that Richard's going to run, looking at some of the difficult questions that we have about our faith and sitting down and seriously coming 
before them and saying, we don't understand everything that's going on, but hey, let's look into this. An unexamined faith isn't worth believing. So which of Jesus' offerings that he's brought to the disciples this morning are we going to take on board? We have his peace to calm our fears and our uncertainties for today and for tomorrow. A love that calls us to respond to God's work of salvation. A mission to carry on his work in this world, to be Jesus to those that we meet to use the help of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to pray for more of the Spirit to aid us in our mission for Jesus. And some reassurance in our times of doubt, in our times of questioning, that it's okay. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you for that appearance to the disciples you made those 2,000 years ago and those things that you offer are still relevant to us today. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray that we might take on board those things which you've been speaking to us. Lord, we pray that we might not go out of this place without being changed in some small way. And we pray that you will continue to speak to us in the coming days and weeks to come. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.